Welcome everyone to Voice of Reason Radio, your hosts Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on this Friday, September 16th, 2022. Uh, we're very, very close to summer being over, which here in Nevada, you wouldn't know that. It's still roasting hot, <laughs> but we're getting ready to go into fall and uh, all, all things pumpkin spice have have jumped up and are starting to drive everybody crazy already. Uh, I see a lot of comments about pumpkin spice already. Y'all are get already tired of it, and it's just getting started. But uh, we're grateful to have you guys with us once again. Uh, appreciate you guys. You, you were patient with us as we took our break recently. Yeah, we're back into the swing of things. You guys uh, you know, engage with the last program. We'll greatly appreciate that. We're hoping tonight's program will be something that's very helpful and encouraging to you as well. want to remind you we are part of the Christian Podcast Community, which is a co- conglomeration, collection, and cooperative of Christian podcasts all under the, the title Christian Podcast Community. That is where you will find good solid podcast programming it is part of the striving for eternity ministries and uh, the folks that brought us all together are pretty discerning about who they bring in and what programs they that they allow to be part of it so you at least have that much uh assurance that when you when you click onto it you will hear something that's edifying and and biblically sound by the way i don't think we normally mention this if you go into your your podcast app of choice and i'll choose say uh you know for all you android people you'll hate this uh if you open your iphone and you open the podcast app and you type in christian podcast community what you'll find is all the latest episodes of the various podcasts in the community are actually streamed on under that title so you can if you want a sampling if you want to go hmm, i don't know which one i'd want to listen to you can listen to uh, you know just any number of episodes of recent podcasts that uh, that have been published through podcast community and you can find a good program that way so that's another way that you guys can do that uh, also as always we remind you check out our website slave to the king.com we encourage you to sign up as uh our for our email newsletter of sorts I, it's not really a newsletter but it's the notifications that lets you know that uh, something new is out so whether it's a new program or we've posted a blog article uh, some change to the website some additional information that's how you can get the latest information about that so we encourage you to sign up there as well that's how you can get in touch with us like i mentioned last time please don't send us weird conspiracy theory Send chip emails. That was weird. Uh, and Rich read it, and he he agrees it was weird. Uh, so, uh, but beyond that, we'd love to hear from you, especially if you have any comments or ideas about the show, things that you'd like to hear us talk about. That's the easiest way to get in touch with us. And of course, you'll find our social media co- uh, connections on there as well. In, in addition to how you can support the program or how you can get. Uh, I think the word is merch. I'm not good at this stuff. That's where you can go find a link to if you want to buy a shirt for the show to help support us that way. That's another way that you can do that. So always encourage you, check out Christian Podcast Community. Check out SlaveToTheKing.com. We love having you guys on board and being a part of that. Thank you so very, very much. And so glad to be back again two weeks in a row with my buddy Rich. How you doing, Rich? Better than I deserve, brother. But Amen. There was something that happened this week that I can't say I didn't deserve it, but I could have gone without. Um, obviously, <laughs> my neighbors decided they were going to do some major landscaping-type issues, and um, I have trouble sleeping, much less at 
you know, very, very early in the morning hearing the sound of a chainsaw and a backhoe <laughs> going to work. And it sounded like it was only like six feet from my bed. Oh, goodness. It was that loud. So, um, yeah, if you, if you have no, n- noisy neighbors, um, I, I can relate. Um, but that was one of those that wasn't necessarily as aggravating as much as it was, it just scared the tar out of me because I'm laying in the bed trying to nap and wham, wham, wham. And the whole house is shaking from where they have a backhoe flipping logs towards oh the front of the neighbor's house to load up on a truck from a tree that they were having topped and, and cut down. But, yeah, that, that's a not a very pleasant way to be a woke in the morning is by (laughs) 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 well it could have been worse it could have been the cat again but anyway (laughs) well i'll tell you that that that, that's a little more harsh wake-up call than the usual yapper dogs that we have in my neighborhood that's probably about one or two houses over that with consistency every morning as i'm already getting up and i get up about 5 30 in the morning they've already started barking and they don't stop so um i'm literally by the time i've left the house and i know my poor wife has heard them at some point because i can hear her grumble as i'm getting ready um i i i I, i'm like there are times i'm like "Mm, where's the squirt gun (laughs) you know i want it's like no no be nice be a good neighbor love your neighbor don't squirt the doggies so So the the neighbor's pants are rooster dogs (laughs) exactly exactly they they and they don't stop. They literally do not stop. I mean, they don't stop. They just keep going. And it's like, you hear them, don't you? Because these are all the same development. And we had all the same construction of these houses. And we're not that insulated. I know you hear them. <laughs> <laughs> we can hear them. And they're not in our backyard. Uh, so. <laughs> are, are they the little small yappy type dogs? Yes, they, they definitely they're, are. They're, their barks are just ear piercing loud at times they are you know i i've heard the deep roof type barks and those are the ones you go oh great cujo that's not this this is just like that oh oh, please be quiet because you know it's a tiny dog you don't want to hurt it (laughs) it's almost like you just want the batteries to hurry and run out of this thing so they put their toy away exactly so i feel for you but like 10 times worse because if somebody, if you come near my backyard with a chainsaw, there might be a 40 caliber response. I'm just saying, I, mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't want to wake up thinking Jason's coming after me with a machete or something. <laughs> well, it, it, it was on their side of the property line. It's just my misfortune that it was right up against my backside of my property line that happened to run alongside <laughs> the edge of the house where I sleep Ugh. and you know, it, I know it was a lot farther than six feet. I'm just saying it sounded that Oh, close. yeah. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Well, brother, like I said, it is great, for, it was great to be back with you. I'm, so, I'm always so grateful that we have this opportunity. Um, and you actually had a really great idea for, a, um, for an episode this week. So, Lo, why don't we just, you know, give everybody that opportunity with you to just get started with this because I I really hope this actually helps helps folks. We're we're trying to spend a little less time on all the big headline titles and of course everybody knows that the big G3 things going on right now. So we'll let we'll let the big wigs handle that and we'll just handle this little thing. How's that sound? 
Well, for our listeners, get out your Bible and open up to the book of Jude. Yes, I know it's a very, very long book. It's very <laughs> in-depth. It's very detailed. But it's very important at Amen. the same time. Yes, I was being sarcastic because Jude <laughs> is only one chapter. Yes. And, but like I said, I think sometimes we overlook the quote-unquote small books of the New Testament, and we focus more energy and effort on studying things like Romans and Hebrews. And I think a lot of times some of these other books are overlooked, like Jude or James or First and Second Peter and some of the other ones that are re- relatively short in length, but they carry a tremendous amount of depth in doctrine Amen. and truth. And just as a reminder, we need to go back to these quote-unquote smaller books of the New Testament and make sure we're reading and studying them with as much intensity as we are the bigger books like Romans and Hebrews and and Corinthians because and the book of Acts because those are probably some of the longer ones in the New Testament. And granted, they do take longer to go through and research and study. But for my own personal study, I have like a primary book that I'll be reading and studying, but then I'll break apart and go to a different book and I break it up like that instead of just trying to go through one in a chronological written order. Sometimes I'll, I'll kind of break it up and maybe have two or three going at one time. I'm just to kind of shift back and forth. And sometimes if it's something like say in Romans that would relate back to another verse, I'll go to that verse and either end up studying that entire portion of the scripture where that verse is, or I'll end up studying the entire book. If it's something like Jude. And I know, I know that may sound a bit erratic, but it's just the way my pitiful little brain works, and I go back and forth <laughs> on things sometimes. Um, our listeners have absolutely no idea when it comes to my notes. For this week's show, Chris has this document and all the notes laid out in almost bullet point fashion and everything else, and mine are just random thoughts thrown in and mixed in, which for me, this was an in-depth set of notes because usually <laughs> my notes consist of about 12 words to cover the entire show and i use my notes or kind of like index cards if you were preaching i'll just have something to trigger my memory to go back to either a verse or to something that i wanted to relay or a truth i wanted to present but chris is very organized and has <laughs> all of his notes together and maintained and Mine are just thrown out there all over the place with a dozen different links and random words here and there. And then during the course of the show, I have it laid out in my head. Okay, I'll go back to this one and I'll jump up to this one. And I'll jump down to this one. It's just, it would drive Daryl Harrison bizarre <laughs> if he ever read the way my show knows. <laughs> Uh, you know what, though? Chris is laughing because he knows I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I, I am. But here's the thing. It works for you. And I, I've said this before, and I've said this to many people. Number one, there is no Voice of Reason Radio without Rich. Rich is, in so many ways, the heart of this program. But one of the things that I have been told by others who listen to the program is that Rich's you know, content on our program is extremely pastoral. So I don't care how your notes work. The, <laughs> what you bring, brother, is just it's a powerhouse every single time. 
So I don't care if you're writing it on napkins, sticky notes, and you know, uh, you know, and, and crayon on, on 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 you know construction paper. I don't care. However, you put it together that it comes out the way it does. I'm grateful for. So the thing that a lot of people don't realize is like this week I was I I you know I work ten hour days provided I'm not on overtime like today when I got I had to go in for a couple of hours uh, because I had to be in court for something and so finding time to sit down and read through the stuff and write stuff it's usually the day of like the day before or the day of and it's usually an hour here a couple hours there so even though my notes look really organized it that's just because I, I that's how I've been taught throughout my life to write things in bullet point format because that's how I, I organize. You know, if I'm writing a report for work, I, I literally will sit down and, and, and kind of, if there's a timeline of events I have to write out, I'm sitting there on a scratch piece of paper writing out the timeline of events in bullet point format because that's how I do things. It may look better, but that doesn't mean I have better content. So it's just, it looks organized. It just... It's not as well done. The, weird, the the really weird and bizarre thing is the the my career over the years prior to my wreck, I had to do it like that as well, Chris. I had to do it the bullet point and I had to lay it out step by step in very finite, very minutial detail. I think that's why I'm just all over the place now is because I had to spend so many years doing it that way. But this is the way my brain works. It's like if 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 people could see my bedroom right now, well, first they'd be in horror because it's a wreck. But I have I have different stacks of books, and my daughter offered to organize them for me, and I said no, leave I them know, like they are. You know where everything I know is. What's in each stack? Yeah, I know what's in each stack, and they may not look like they're organized, but I have method to my madness. There are, there is order in my chaos. Nobody else can understand it, but I I know where where. I know if I wanted to grab a particular book on a particular subject, I know which stack it's in. And often I, I joke that my bedroom looks like that picture of Spurgeon's office to where it's just stacks of books everywhere. Mine may not be quite that intense or that big, but Chris knows I've literally almost injured myself before on stacks of books because I'm trying to <laughs> dig out something and something falls over or I trip over it. And I don't. I, I can walk, I just don't walk that well. And trying to maneuver my own self-imposed minefield of gauntlet of, of, of an obstacle course, you know, I endanger myself sometimes. But anyway, um, my and if you think my notes are disorganized, you ought to see my <laughs> books because I don't, and I don't know where this developed from, but growing up, it might have been from school and textbooks or what, but... I was always taught, don't write in your book. Yeah. And that has stuck with me to this day. So over the years, especially as, as I grew and got more and more into reading and studying, my books, my wife can come in if she wants a particular book. All she does is look and see which books look like porcupines with the little <laughs> sticky tabs poking out. And the more sticky tabs poking out of a book, the better she knows it is. And a lot of times that's how she will decide which book in my stack she wants to grab. She'll go for one that has the most sticky tabs. And, and for years, my children <laughs> have teased me about the fact that my books look like porcupines. Oh, but funny. I don't know. That's just, just the way I do it and bookmarks and that. 
and I despise dog ears on pages. Uh. But like I said, it was just drilled into me growing up. Don't write in that book. Don't write in that book. And just rather stuck with me over the years. I'm not saying you're a sinner if you write in your book. I mean, it's your book. You do what you want to with it. But I don't even like using a highlighter. I mean, it's just... I will say if you... Has their, I will say if you dog ear your pages, you are a monster, but that's that's another topic. <laughs> and yes, some of my books, I pull the book cover off <laughs> because I like the looks of the book better than the book cover. And Stephen Melenzen just lost his mind, and I'm with him. Gosh, you know, some of you people that like not only just take them off, but then you destroy them. I, I, I have such disdain for for you that do that, Anonymous. Um, so, but I. W- I will say, though, book covers have saved some of my yes. books in the past, especially when I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee and I got a book in my lap and I, and, and I go to get up and something happens and half the cup gets dumped on the book. That book cover has saved the book, but then that book cover ends up in the garbage because <laughs> yeah. it's soggy wet. Good point. Good they point. serve a purpose. All right. We've, we better get on with the show because we told them we were going to do that. So uh, now that you've heard of okay. our heard our disorganized, organized tactics. So. All right. Speaking of the book of Jude. Yes. All right. The entire purpose of the book of the Jude. Let me try that again. The entire book of Jude has to deal with contending for the faith. And there are four aspects of the main points of Jude. And the main point of this little book of Jude is verse 3. So Chris and I tonight want to make our main point of this message about verses one, about verse 1-3. And we want to point out it's the duty of every genuine believer to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And we'll try to unfold the meaning of this teaching under four headings, but I'll warn you, we're not necessarily going to do this in the order that I'm fixing to present. Um, there's a faith once for all delivered to the saints. This faith is worth contending for. This faith is repeatedly threatened from within the church. That's a very important one, number three. I know that we will hit that one extremely hard tonight. And every genuine believer should contend for the faith. But the first question we need to ask is, which faith is this speaking of? What is this faith? And it says the faith, not a faith, but the faith, the with a capital T H E, the faith. And that faith is is on. And we need to remember, a lot of people in this world proclaim a faith. Even atheists have a faith. They have a faith in nothing, but they still have a faith. And we got to remember, faith is only good as the object of that faith. And faith is built on the cornerstone, which is Christ. And sadly today, when we talk about Christ, when we talk about the Savior, when we talk about Jesus Christ, even that means different things to different people. So we have got to make sure we're biblical on our explanations Mm -hmm. because Mormons profess Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses profess Christ. Catholics profess Christ. And numerous other, quote-unquote, denominations within American evangelicalism profess Christ, but most do not profess the Christ of the Bible. It's just like when someone says that they share the gospel, you can't take it for granted that their definition of sharing the gospel 
is the biblical definition of sharing the gospel. In today's age, we have to ask questions. We have to get people to clarify and define what they mean by what they say, because words mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to break this down, but I came across something from John Gill that I think does this far better than anything I could put into words, and it's from his commentary on Jude. The faith is meant the doctrine of faith, in which sense it is used whenever faith is said to be preached, obeyed, departed, or erred from, or denied, or made shipwreck of, or when exhortations are made to stand fast and continue in it, or to strive and contend for it, as here, and which is sometimes called the word of faith, the faith of the gospel, the mystery of faith, or most holy faith, the common faith, and here as here, faith only, and designs the whole scheme of evangelical truths to be delivered, such as the doctrine of the Trinity, the deity and sonship of Christ, the divinity and personality of the Spirit, what regards the state and condition of man by nature, as the doctrines of the imputation of Adam's sin to his posterity, the corruption of nature and the impotence of men to what to that which is good, what concerns the acts of grace in the Father, Son, and Spirit, towards and upon the sons of men, as the doctrines of everlasting love, eternal election, the covenant of grace, particular redemption, justification by the imputed righteousness of Christ, pardon and reconciliation by his blood, regeneration and sanctification by the grace of the Spirit, final perseverance, the resurrection of the dead, and the future glory of the saints with Christ. Basically, he breaks down and and he's saying, these are your primary doctrines. These are what we are to contend for, what we are to fight for, what we are to stand for. And as we go into the book of Jude, we need to remember that this was not written as a pastoral epistle. This is something that was written by Jude to Christians. He was not directing it towards any one single individual as a pastoral instruction. This was written to apply to every believing Christian and to every true member of the church. And I'll let you pick it up from here, brother. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing that's so, one of the things that's so very important is recognizing in a world that says, oh yeah, faith is a good thing. Faith in what? What are we talking about when we talk about faith? If you don't have that defined, as you say, different words mean different things to different people. If we don't define it, then we're kind of, we're lobbing that phrase out there without any meaning to it, and people can assign whatever meaning they want. So when we're talking about contending for the faith, our faith in Christ and the completed work and all the things, as was so uh, wonderfully said in, in that quote by John Gill, the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of our salvation, that faith, we need to be aware that we are always from the from the birth of the church until Christ returns are going to contend with those who would seek to pervert the gospel and so when Jude writes he writes specifically to the church by the way he says to you know verse 1 to those who are called beloved in God the father and kept for Jesus Christ so he's writing to Christians these are marching orders um, and in my notes, Rich, just because you thought you said such nice, kind things, 
apparently when I wrote the name Charles Spurgeon, it autocorrected to Charles Spurgeon. That's not nice, Apple. Don't do that to me. Now I'm really <laughs> distracted. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I just now saw that. So we're, anyway, getting back on track. Um, he's writing to the Christian church. He's writing to us, those who are in the faith, those of us who proclaim Christ. And it's not just to pastors or church leaders. It is written to every Christian. So he writes this with a desire to write to them about our common salvation, but he has to, he finds it necessary to appeal to them to contend for the faith. He says, I would, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, he wanted to write a letter extolling the, the, our salvation in Christ, but he found it necessary it was he was compelled to write to uh, to the Christians, to appealing to you, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That, that he is compelled. That I want to write to you about our common salvation, but there is something else I need to include in that, and that is we have to contend for this. Why? For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our god into sensuality and deny our only master and lord jesus christ he is writing because there are certain people that have crept in unnoticed how, how, what do you mean crept in unnoticed in other words these are people within the bot that have found their way in, into the walls of the church mingling in with the body who are false uh, false teachers, false Christians, people who claim to be followers of Christ. They speak enough, they act enough like Christ or Christians to outwardly pass as such. Okay? They have crept in unnoticed. They are the tares among the wheat. And there's just enough there for you to think that that person is, is someone who is with you and is part of the body. But what lies underneath is is rotten bones and rotten flesh and putrid stink because they are not of Christ. They are people still dead in their trespasses and sins. And they have crept in that they may pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. That's their intended goal. They want to, to pervert Christ's grace into sensuality. They're using the grace of Christ as a cloak for their sins and to teach others to do likewise. So he's calling us to contend for it because there are those who are attempting to pervert it from within. Okay, we, we have to be discerning. To contend for the faith means you have to be discerning. And this was the Spurgeon quote. <clears throat> Spurgeon said, Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. In other words, we have to be discerning enough that we can't just look at it and go, looks good enough. No, we have to know the word of God so well that we can discern right from almost right. Like it's just off enough to go. There's a problem. Now we're not talking about those things that we've talked about on the program before, where there are differences in theology that fall within orthodoxy. We're talking about things that pervert the gospel. On the surface, it may sound right, but it's not right at all. 
And we have to be the people who are willing to admit and acknowledge that there are those inside the walls of our church who claim to be followers of Christ, but they're anything but. And that is a real hard thing, Rich. You and I see this all the time. There are people that are like, how dare you question this person's faith? Well, I can dare to question it because the Word of God questions it. I, I feel real bad for a good friend of ours, um, uh, K-Dub on, on Twitter is what he goes by, K-Dub True. Uh, but he he just had, and I, I don't know what possessed him. I don't know why he did this. But he had uh, Joe Lumen on. Now, Joe Lumen is a heretic. She is a false teacher. She proclaims to be uh, a pastor and teacher. This is a woman who has said that um, she, you, she doesn't, you don't need Christ to be a Christian. And Chris was very kind and brought her onto his show, All Things Theology. And I watched one two-minute clip and almost instantly got a migraine. Um, but this is a person who absolutely detests the Word of God, yet she claims to be a Christian. Now, Joe Lumen is a very obvious example of what is not a Christian, but when when Chris started sharing the links to the, the episode and started sharing the videos, all of Joe's followers said exactly that. How dare you question her being a Christian? How dare you call her a false teacher? All of these things. It's hard for us, in, you know, especially in this day and age, when we have the 11th commandment of thou shalt not judge thrown at us. It's sometimes hard to be willing to admit that somebody who calls themselves a Christian may just may not be one. But we have to be willing to do that. And you know, the simple fact is that false teachers rarely come in as obvious as a Joe Lumen and, and with a giant neon sign saying, I'm here with false teaching. A lot of them will come in with teaching that is close enough, sounds true enough that we kind of think it might be. And we, Rich, we've seen this in recent years. Um, go back to what we've talked about, things like social justice. The debt that using the word justice, saying God is a God of justice, and perverting that and giving, as you said just a minute ago, using their own definitions, meaning get, applying a different definition to it. The idea that Jesus is love, and if you love, well, then you've got to accept this. Or Jesus never spoke about that, so it must not have mattered to him, ignoring the rest of the Bible. It's this thing where, you know, this is where you can get down into those those small things that it seems so unimportant on the surface, but they are the hugest problems that have created the biggest heresies and false teachings that we've come across. You don't, you, within your own church, you're probably not going to have a Creflo Dollar or, or some NAR preacher or, you know, uh, a Joe Lumen coming in trying to take over the church. Might, but it's probably not going to happen. But within the body, you're going to have people who are not regenerate, who hear these things, and they've been taught these things, and they want to apply it as though that comes, uh, that is what defines scripture. And so the, the, all of these individuals will attempt to even use scripture to defend their positions, but in every, almost every case, they're using worldly definitions in an attempt to rewrite the meaning. They're trying to give it a non-biblical meaning. They're using, you know, terms like love and justice, etc., and they're giving them terms that have worldly meanings, not biblical meanings. Uh, so, biblical meanings, excuse me. So, the starting place for contending for the faith means that we have to discern the truth of God's word against what is being presented to us. 
And that's what I think one of the things that Jude is, I think the reason he found it so important to say, I have to write this letter, is he is watching it happen right in front of him. That people are coming into the church and they're perverting the gospel. And, and, and to use the social justice example again, that's exactly what a perversion of the gospel is. The gospel is about our sins, which condemn us to hell because God is a, a God of justice. Yet in his mercy and in his grace, he sends Christ who died in our place to take the penalty of sin. And that if we would turn from sin and put our faith in Christ, then we will be forgiven. Yet it is social justice that says, no, that's the wrong definition of justice. It's justice is it's making everything equal according to their terms. That's real justice. That's biblical justice. And that's where the divide begins. And they're perverting the gospel for their own sensuality. Why? Because what is what is social justice talk about? It talks about getting something for people here and now, making life equal and, t- and giving to people what they don't have. It's it's about feeding the emotional state of the people in this world. And that's where perversion of grace into sensuality, that's where it starts. It's between the right and the almost right. And the way we contend for the faith as has been done over the last few years is discerning the truth of God's word, actually getting into what does God's word say versus what are they trying to make it say. So that's one of the first things. The second thing is we have to remember that these individuals are people who are facing judgment. Those who pervert the gospel face God's eternal judgment. In verse 5, Jude says, Now I I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, this is the, the Hebrews coming being taken out of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Remember? He brings them out. He brings them through the Red Sea. He destroys the Egyptians with that water. He brings them to the, to, uh, to the mountain. He gives them the law. And what's the first thing they do? Worship a golden calf. What, what do they do for weeks and months after that, complain and say, you brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness. He brings them to the the land of Canaan that will become the land of Israel. And what do they say? We're going to die. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And for 40 years, he leads them in the wilderness as that generation dies off. And he kills off through plagues, through opening the ground beneath them, through so many different ways, kills off those who would rebel against him. These are the very people he rescued out of Egypt. Why? Because they did not believe God. They refused to believe in his promises, even though he delivered time and time again. And then he says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality. Hey, by the way, for those of you who say Sodom was destroyed because of lack of hospitality, you really kind of need to read Jude here, and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. 
the Jude is reminding the readers that there were uh, there were those that God saved out of Egypt and he later destroyed them that there were angels who have stood in his presence who have rebelled against him who are facing eternal judgment that Sodom and Gomorrah who had lot by the way and lot was compromised no question but lot you know the scripture tells us he was tormented by what he saw there we when when the they come and try to take the angels to rape them he tries to be a judge among us they say of lot so lot as compromised as he was still represented god they had him there and what did they do sinned and rebelled against god and he wipes them out for their sin so all of these individuals that he cites are people who pursued their own sensuality whether for lust of power, for lust of provision and comfort, for, for lust of sexual immorality. They pursued that which they wanted and rejected God. And so for those who pervert the gospel, they're not just Christians who have a difference of opinion. We're, again, we are not talking about where we're struggling then through what does the scripture say on this theological matter and how do we apply that and how do we understand it. These are people who are perverting the gospel for their own sensuality. These are, these are goats among the sheep. They are tares among the wheat. And what they do with the gospel of grace reveals they do not belong to Christ. And because of that perversion of, of his grace, they are facing eternal condemnation. So when we're talking about contending for the faith, and we are talking about people who are perverting the gospel, we are talking about people who face the God of justice, the God of wrath, the God of the law, and he is going to hold them in account for all that they have done including the blasphemy of taking his gospel and perverting it into something that is sensual. So that's the, that's what the first thing we got to remember, Rich, is that we are talking about, we are contending with people who have the appearance of, but are anything but, and these are people that when we're contending with them, we are, we are concerned about their very souls and what they are bringing into the church is condemnable. It is eternal wrath that they are facing that's so that's the first place we we got to start we've got to be contending because we understand who they are because we've understood the word of god you there brother oh yes brother okay. i was just letting <laughs> so, you finish um, so sorry <laughs> according to my according to my notes my next cue was not until the end of the next little section but okay i'm sorry um, i just i got ahead of myself i guess so but so um, I, then, then let me finish that last bit so that we don't get completely thrown off since <laughs> our notes are so different. So <laughs> one other thing that is important to remember is that they are they are facing, you know, they, they, these are people who are they're blasphemously rebelling against God. They don't even blush at the blasphemies they utter. Jude says in verse 8, yet in like manner, these people, these individuals who pervert the gospel, he says they were relying on their dreams. They defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. They don't even blink, blush, wince, anything about the blasphemy they're uttering against God. 
In verse 10, he says, But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. They respond to their base animalistic urges and it doesn't even occur to them or even matter to them that they are twisting God's own words for their own satisfaction. What they care about is their appearance, the, 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 uh, uh, the ability to gain wealth or power or status. They dress themselves up to be seen as for how godly they are, but they're nothing but a trap and wait, waiting to ensnare and destroy the undiscerning. Jude says they are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they are as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. They are a trap to the, un, uh, to the undiscerning. Think about that hidden reef. You're guiding your boat into, into land and you don't see the danger underneath. That hidden reef, the damage it will do, that it'll destroy your boat and sink you down. That's what these guys are. They're empty. They're vacuous. They promise something. They promise substance, but they're empty and worthless. And all they care about is what they're getting here and now. And remember, they dress themselves up to appear to be like you and I. They appear to be those who follow Christ, yet they are these destructive hidden reefs. What are they doing? They're, they're leading people astray for their own sensuality. And what is the their end? Eternal condemnation. Rich? Well, we need to remember, too, that Christ said that there will be those that arise professing to be Christian and will want to put you to death thinking they're doing God a service. And that's the really disturbing part. So many of these individuals that you just described, they are deceived in sin. They are deceived by Satan, thinking they are actually true believers, when in truth they are the tares among the wheat. And that's what gets a bit, I'm not going to say complicated, but that's where being able to discern truth from almost truth becomes vital because we see it throughout history since the New Testament was written and lived out that over and over again what Christ predicted comes true in each generation. Um, for example, the faith that we cherish was preserved for us with the blood of hundreds of reformers. From 1555 to 1558, Queen Mary, the Catholic ruler in England, had 288 Protestant reformers burned at the stake. Now, my question for the listener is, why were they burned? Why were the reformers burned? What was it that caused such hatred against them by Queen Mary? And it's because they stood by truth, a biblical truth, and the the, the truth that caused these reformers to be burned was the fact that 
the real presence of Jesus' body is not in the Eucharist, but in heaven at the Father's right hand. And for that truth, they endure the excruciating pain of being burned alive. And the blood of the martyrs is a powerful testimony that the faith once for all delivered to the saints that Jude talk, was talking about is worth contending for. And But there is evidence of this right here in verse 3. Jude says that what he is really writing about is our common salvation. Since I am eager to write about our common salvation, it is necessary to urge you to contend for the faith. When the faith is at stake, our salvation is at stake. If the truth is lost, salvation is lost. The apostles and reformers were willing to die for the sake of the faith because they cared about whether the message of salvation would be preserved, and they cared about people, and they cared about glorifying God. And as more of an example, when we look at Bloody Mary, she was not some evil barbarian, but she was a professing Christian. And the worst enemies of Christian doctrine are professing Christians who do not hold to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And there's warnings from Paul and Jude. In his last message to the pastors of the church of Ephesus, in Acts 20, Paul warned them that after his departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them, verses 29 and 30. The wolves are pervert the faith. The wolves are those who pervert the faith are professing Christians. Let me try to rephrase that. These wolves spoke about are professing Christians who pervert the faith because they are either deceived in sin or they know they're wolves and they're setting out to try to devour someone or con someone or mislead or misdirect someone. And and that's something we need to remember, too, that when it comes to contending for the faith, it's not always easy to know whether someone is a wolf in sheep's clothing or whether someone is actually a wolf thinking that there are sheep and there's there is a difference but the remedy is still the same and that is the biblical way of salvation and there are pastors in the church and leaders and seminary teachers and missionaries who fall into these categories sadly especially in today's world where you know you can go to a seminary and being a pastor is a career path instead of a calling Mm -hmm. and we see that far too much today there are far too many men who are quote-unquote pastors who go into it as a career instead of a calling. Yeah, amen. But I'll finish up here. But in Jude, the reason the church needed to gird itself to contend for the faith is given in verse 4. For admission has been secretly gained by some who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly persons who pervert the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So the threat to the faith is coming from among who are now inside the church. They're the ones that slip in through the window. They don't come in through the door. They're probably saying something like this. If we're saved by grace, then it doesn't matter what we do morally. In fact, when a Christian sins, it only serves to magnify the grace of God. So they turn the grace of God against the commandments of Christ, and in effect denied the Lordship of Jesus. And that's the way it's been since the first century. And Paul said it would happen. Jude saw it happening. 
He saw it as a fulfillment of the apostles' predictions in verses 17 through 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who set up divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So if, if, if the point's not clear, contending for the faith is fighting for the faith, the cornerstone, which is Christ from within the church. We're not talking about attacks from outside the church. We're talking about attacks upon the deity of the supremacy of Christ upon his way of salvation from within the church. You, you want to add to that, brother? I, I, you know, it's fantastic, and that's absolutely true. You know, we are... It's it's so easy, I think, you know, you, you're pointing out, it's not just contending against those who are attacking the church, but the, from those who are seeking to cause the destruction of the gospel from within. And we see that happen so much. And it, it's easy to say, oh yeah, those liberal or those progressive churches, they're the problem. But it was just not that long ago, just within the last few years, really and I've said this before, I think, it was almost as if R.C. Sproul's passing was a, a red, f uh, the, the, the flag that, that they waved to say, okay, those that have been riding under the surface now pop up. It, because it seemed to happen almost immediately after his passing, almost a, like a signal flare. We saw from within our own ranks, within the conservative biblical church, a redefinition of things like love and justice. We saw that the way we love the lost is to compromise the preaching of the gospel. We saw that, oh, to, to not cause offense, we, we should honor a person's pronouns. Or because we, we love our brethren of a such and such ethnic background, we must allow for this definition of justice or during the the, the pandemic uh, the way we love our neighbors is to def defy the commandment of God to gather as a church we saw this happen within our own churches it happened from within and so that gets absolutely right, correct rich we have to be able to contend and identify those from within that are, are causing these things. And we have to remember, you know, there are things that as we contend and we persevere, there are things that we have to remember and things that we have to do. And the first thing we have to remember is that there will be scoffers. Jude writes, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the, apostle of our, uh, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, by the way. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their un, own ungodly passions. So even from within the church, you have those, or from within the walls of the church, you have those who have the appearance of Christians who can be noted for their scoff, scoffing of Scripture as being sufficient. There are those that believe that the gospel, you know, to, to preach the gospel, that's just not enough in, in this age. It doesn't correct for the injustices or worldly issues that we have defined. We have to, we have to look outside the church. 
They scoffed at the idea, the idea that scripture solves mental health issues, sexual issues. No, we have to listen to the, the experts. We have to talk to those whose experience can teach us so much more. Scoffing isn't just the atheist who makes a lambasting comment on Twitter. Scoffing can occur from those who seek to pervert the gospel who want to deny that the gospel is sufficient and that the word of God is sufficient to address the multiple issues we find going on not only in the world, but inside our own churches. All you have to do is talk to people like Ekitep Sapornchai, who is a pastor who has said online and in, you know, in his church that many of the issues like depression and anxiety and others, so much of this can be solved by pastoral counseling from the scriptures and Professing Christians have attacked him. I mean, absolutely, vociferously attacked him. That's what we're talking about. You have people who have come in unnoticed and they have scoffed at the idea that the scriptures are sufficient. That was the whole point of this G3 uh, conference this last week, during this week, yesterday and today. Over England, And I caught a little bit of it as it streamed, live streamed. And I heard some good stuff, and I, I look forward to listening to those messages. I pray, you know, pray that you guys do it as well. But it's the sufficiency of Scripture under attack. That it just isn't enough. We've got to look at other things. We have to use other analytical tools. That's a scoffing of the Word of God. These are people who cause division. Verse 19, it is those, these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. It's funny because, Rich, we hear so often, you're causing division. We're trying to bring unity. No, you're bringing division because you're bringing something other than the Word of God to bear. They are saying that you and me and Rich and uh, other listeners of the program and, and godly pastors and Christians who seek to uphold the sufficiency of Scripture, they say, you're causing division by insisting yours is the only way. We want unity with you. You need to put aside these doctrinal differences. But okay. they, Go ahead. Interject real quick right Lamont. here. When they say when they say that we're causing division, guess what? We're called to cause yes. division. We are to divide light from darkness. We're to proclaim biblical way of salvation versus all the other false ways or many ways to heaven that's throughout the world. We are to judge among the pews. We are to inspect the fruit. And guess what? That's the point of church discipline, which has become a four-letter word among American evangelicals today. You impose church discipline on someone, and that's the worst possible thing under the sun that you could ever do. You're not being loving if you're calling someone out of their sin, if you're calling someone to repentance and faith, if you're calling them to deny themselves and to take up Christ and to follow Christ and to be in Christ and to submit to the Lordship of Christ. How dare you do such a thing? Guess what, brothers and sisters? We are to cause division mm -hmm. because that is what the gospel does. It divides. It splits bone and marrow. The spirit of the sword, it splits bone and marrow. It splits truth from lies. Amen. It, sp it splits light and darkness. We are to be divisive. The problem is, in today's world, the ones that are being, quote-unquote, divisive, too many times they're being divisive over the wrong things, 
And on the other side of the coin, we have too many people willing to accept anything and everything under the name of Christ. And I'm sorry, brother, go ahead. That just kind of popped into my head. No, you're at that point. And it's absolutely true. See, the difference is we, as Christians, when we submit to the Word of God and we're being discerning by the Word of God, we are dividing from the world. We are in the world, not of it. We must preach the gospel to the world, but we cause division from the world calling people to Christ, yet it is these who have come in unnoticed that are bringing division from within and causing division from the Word of God and His gospel. And that's the problem. They want you to submit to their world ideologies. And if you don't, you're called intolerant, bigoted, misogynistic. They want to marginalize you and shut you down. They want to put the church, uh, they want the church to put down the word of God and take up their cause, or they want to modify the word of God to make it fit their sensuality. They want to divide the body itself from the word of God. They bring anger, hatred, and division. That is what Jude is warning us against. These are people who are devoid of the Holy Spirit. They are filled only by their own flesh. And so we as Christians must contend for the truth. We must contend earnestly for the faith. He says in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your, in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To, show, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Verses 20 through 23. Scoffers cause division, but we are called to stand firm. We are called to contend for the faith. And he says first, by building ourselves up in the faith. So we have to study, read, love the word of God, and obey it. We must know it above all else. We must be so proficient in the truth that all other counterfeits are immediately noticeable. You guys have heard this before. How does the you know how do the Secret Service know the you know um, different you know phony money from real? They study the real over and over and over again until it is so proficient in recognizing it they can immediately notice the false, and then we live according to it. We conform our life to the Word so that anyone calling us to live another way, we can immediately see that as a false teacher. Rich, did you have something? Yeah, I want to share something that I read by Matthew Henry in regards to all of this. Christians are called out of the world from the evil spirit and temper of it. We're called above the world to a higher and better things, to heaven, things unseen and eternal, called from sin to Christ from vanity to seriousness, from uncleanness to holiness, and this according to the divine purpose and grace, if sanctified and glorified, all the honor and glory must be ascribed to God and to him alone, as it is God who begins the work of grace in the souls of men, so it is he who carries it on and perfects it. Let us not trust in ourselves, nor in our stock of grace already received, but in him and in him alone. The mercy of God is the spring and fountain of all the good we have hoped for. Mercy, and not only to the miserable, but to the guilty. Next to mercy is peace, which we have from the sense of having obtained mercy. From peace springs love, Christ, Christ's love to us, our love to him, and our brotherly love to one another. 
the apostle prays not that Christians may be content with a little, but that their souls and societies may be full of these things. None are shut out from gospel offers and invitations, but those who obstinately and wickedly shut themselves out. But the application is to all believers and only to such. It is to the weak as well as to the strong. Those who have received the doctrine of this common salvation must contend for it earnestly, not furiously. Lying for the truth is bad. Scolding for it is not better. Those who have received this truth, excuse me, those who have received the trust must contend for it as the apostles did, by suffering with patience and courage for it, not by making others suffer if they will not embrace every notion we call faith or important. We ought to contend earnestly for the faith in opposition to those who would corrupt or deprave it, who creep in unawares, who glide in like serpents, and those who are the worst of the ungodly, who take encouragement to sin boldly because the grace of God has abounded and still abounds so wonderfully, and who are hardened by the extent and fullness of gospel grace, the design of which is to deliver men from sin and bring them unto God. Now, we are to contend for the faith, but we're not to be contentious for the faith. In 1 Peter 3.15, he writes, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Sadly, today, we see more and more brothers and sisters in Christ who think they are contending for the faith, but in actuality, they are being contentious in the faith. Now, a person that is contentious is someone who likes to argue or fight, who tries on purpose to be controversial, and they try to start arguments, they try to start debates, but they're not doing it in the way that we're called to do it. Christ Christ tells us to contend for the faith, but we're to do it, do it in a way that honors Christ himself, just like Matthew Henry was pointing out in that section. You know, it's, it's another one of those that, as humans and still in our fallen flesh, we have trouble maintaining a balance when it comes to contending for the faith. And Chris will share mm-hmm. here in just a moment how we biblically contend for the faith. But getting into arguments over politics or social reforms or what this country is doing or the economic status, that is not contending for the faith. If you're not quoting scripture and pointing people back to Jesus Christ and pointing out the fact, this is how Christ defines sin. This is the results of living in sin. That is contending for the faith. If someone comes in to your church and says, well, there's only one God, but he appears in three different ways. And I forget the way that they twist the concept uh, of the Trinity. Manifestations. yeah, manifestations. That would be something that you sit down, you open up Scripture, you point them to Scripture, but in all of this, it is imperative that we remember that we may be trying to appeal to their logic, we may be trying to appeal to their morality, we open up the Scriptures and teach them and tell them what the Scripture says, we tell them how Christ defines sin, 
We tell them how Christ defines love, justice, mercy, all these concepts. But ultimately, it is only Christ that can open their heart and allow them to understand. And we only have one weapon to do that, and that is in prayer. And I'll let you take it from here, brother, because I know that's where you're headed next. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I got ahead of us in, in my notes here, so I apologize for that. But uh, <laughs> I get going, and I forget that yeah, we have a, we, we're actually back and forth here. Um, so anyway, uh, part of being standing firm is that building ourselves up in the faith. And then Jude talks about keeping yourselves in the love of God. You know, we... we we stand firm by building ourselves up in the faith. We know the Word of God. We practice it. We seek to live in a holy life. And then we keep ourselves in the love of God. It is God's love that redeemed us from the shackles of sin. We come to love what He loves and hate what He hates. Our eyes are completely fixed on Him, on Christ, because He is truth and He is love. That's We're keeping ourselves in that. We're keeping ourselves fixed on that. There's nothing in the world that compares to his beauty and his majesty. We recognize there's nothing that this world offers that compares. It's all filth by comparison. And so we look, we look to worship and adore him and we love him and we obey him. You know, we're standing firm in the faith as we build ourselves up and we're keeping ourselves in the love of God. And then we he says by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we recognize the world can't offer anything that compares to Christ's salvation. What is it in this world that you would take, that you would gladly receive, but give up Christ's salvation? What would profit a man to gain the whole world, but to lose his soul? Waiting upon the mercy of Christ means that we are there's, we can face all these trials, all these tribulations, all these persecutions with joy because we know we have something far more valuable. And the world can say, we'll give you all this and we'll, we'll, not, we'll not do anything to bother you as long as you just compromise here. It was Vody Balcom, I believe, at the G3, was it G3 conference not, or was it the Shepherds Conference? I forget which one. He was saying, that the easiest way to avoid persecution is to compromise. Just don't talk about this. Just don't say that. Just don't hold to the word. And you can avoid persecution. What do we have in this world that compares to that? That, that we would be willing to say, eh, I, I'm not going to wait on Christ's salvation because this is too valuable to me. The world doesn't offer any uh, solutions to our actual needs, which is forgiveness. And it can only give us more, which leads us into sin and destruction. Because the world itself is shackled in sin and death. The world doesn't have spiritual answers because the world is spiritually dead. So we have to reject the world's call for us to conform ourselves to it. We have to live in such a way that we are conforming ourselves to Christ and are standing in opposition to the world. And we can do that, we can live that way, knowing that the world will despise us for Christ's sake, yet we will spend eternity with Him. This is what it means to wait upon the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we have His eternal promise. The people who come in and try to divide with false doctrine that almost true, 
but not quite. Are doing so, they're perverting the gospel for sensuality, for the sake of sensuality. We have to stand in opposition to that because there's nothing that they're going to offer the church in those worldly ideologies that compares to the beauty of our salvation in Christ. So our motivation is then not what is to not do that which appears acceptable to the world uh, world's eyes, but to be pleasing to the one who purchased us. We know that we live according to his word because he has called us to be that, because he has called us to be apart from the world, because he has made us apart from the world. When you're contending for the faith, when you're contending against the false teaching, that almost true but completely false, you are contending for that doctrine which leads us to Christ. It is that doctrine by which we are preached the gospel of salvation, which we will have for eternity. Contending for the faith means you are calling people out of the false ideologies of the world, no matter how nice it sounds, no matter how much it seems to offer a great solution, and somehow the church would really gain some great standing in the world if we could just do this. But we compromise, if we do that, we compromise for their sake and we reject the truth of the gospel. And we have satisfied their sensuality, their sense of licentiousness, their sense of that which make, pleases them in the world. And we give up that which Christ called us to, that he transformed us for that he made us like him for. Our motivation to contend for the faith must ultimately be because we love the promise of his etern of eternal life with him through the de death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then finally he says that we are to save others, snatching them out of the fire, to have mercy on those who doubt. See, when we study the word and we live according to the word and we're conformed by the word, we then therefore preach the word to the lost and to those within the church. We call sinners to repentance. We call them away from false beliefs and teaching. Think back again to the whole social justice invasion of the church. How many people were sucked in by this. And now within churches, pastors must contend with people who say, but social justice is godly justice. And we have to now contend against this because we failed to do so early on. Because it sounded good. It sounded almost right. And now you have those who doubt. You have those who are within the fires of the, of the false teachings of the world. So what are we called to do? We're called to stand firm. We're to be built up, keeping ourselves in the love of God, waiting upon His uh, the mercy of Christ. And we then, therefore, preach the gospel unadulterated. And we call sinners to repentance, calling them away from those false teachings and beliefs. We show them that these false teachings contradict the word of God and lead people on a path to hell. We call them to repent and to leave that path and put them on the path of eternal life. We call sinners to genuine salvation. We call those within the church to repentance and back to being conformed to Christ.
and it is through our knowledge and preaching of the word and by the fact that we live in righteously and holy and in holiness according to the word we then become testimonies to the truth and being a beacon of light in a dark and sinful world contending for the faith isn't just about how my theology stacks up against somebody else's it is contending for the very gospel which brings salvation itself and separating it from that those slivers that seem so small and that maybe it, maybe it's kind of true and leads to eternal condemnation rich well and and you said it um in today's world especially and i see it every time everywhere i look from within my own community to things that you know come across on YouTube or podcasts or whatever else. Pragmatism is running rampant in this country when it comes in the realm of American evangelicalism, especially within the SBC. You know, uh, we pick on them, but I'm still a member, so I feel, feel like I'm entitled. But there's so much that, you know, we so many different marketing schemes and so many different things to... The church needs to be doing this to, to grow the numbers. We need to be doing that. No, we just simply need to be proclaiming the biblical way of salvation because ultimately nothing we do here and now short of proclaiming that biblical way of salvation is going to have an impact on eternity, whether it's social justice, feeding the poor, providing you know shelter to the homeless, whatever the cause may be, fighting for social justice. Okay, you win the social justice war, then what? That person is going to feel all equitable and feel like they've got equality, but when they die, they're still going to die in their sin. And not just the book of Jude, but throughout the epistles and throughout the New Testament, Paul often speaks of fighting for the faith. And in 1 Timothy 6.12, then fight the good fight of Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is directing Timothy toward something specific. He's giving him a specific direction for the focus and for the purpose of his life. Fight the good fight of faith. The apostle suggests to Timothy that he had other business to do than to mind the things of this world. His life was a state of warfare. He was a soldier. It was not to entangle himself with the things of this life. He had many enemies to engage with as Satan and Satan's principalities and powers, sin and the lust of the flesh, the world and the men in it, and a great fight of afflictions to endure with them, as also false teachers with whom particularly he was to fight the good fight of faith, that so the truth of the gospel which they resisted might continue with the saints. That was from John Gill. He's, Paul was telling Timothy, don't get caught up in these worldly ideologies. Don't get caught up in these worldly debates. You need to keep a focus on eternal things. You need to keep focused on what the goal is, what the finish line is. You know, Paul often related when it came to to fighting for the faith or endurance or perseverance, he often related that to, to the Roman games, to competing, to running a race. And they had to 
go through great endurance. They had to, you know, go through many, many things to win that perishable wreath. And sadly, in today's world, even among professing Christians, they're chasing after a perishable wreath instead of seeking and pursuing holiness towards eternity and towards the eternality for those around them. But one thing else I'd like to share in closing, and this is from a commentary probably a lot of you are not familiar with. It's Ellicott's commentary to the English, but I, I think he makes some good points in this. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Then again, with the old stirring metaphor of the Olympic contest for a prize, as in 1 Corinthians 9.24 and Philippians 3.13-14, through 14, the metaphor Paul loved so well, and which Timothy must have heard so often from his old master's lips as he preached and taught, he bids the man of God, rising above the pitiful struggles for these things perishable and useless, fight the noble fight of faith, bids him strive to lay hold of the real prize, life eternal. The emphasis rests here mainly on the words, the good fight and eternal life. These things are placed in strong contrast with the struggle of the covetous and its miserable, perishable crown. The good fight, more closely considered, is the contest and struggle which the Christian has to maintain against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It styled the good fight of faith partly because the contest is waged on behalf of, for the sake of, the faith, but still more because from faith it derives its strength and draws its courage. Eternal life is the prize the man of God must ever have before his eyes. And for us today, that still has application. That must be the prize that we see is eternal life, not for just ourselves, but for those around us, and especially for those who profess to be Christians living and walking and working and talking and communing with us within the church walls because there's many different scriptures that reference this, but the most terrifying thing in all of scripture has to be Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, when Christ addresses those who profess to be his, and Christ turns around and tells them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, you workers of sin, you who practice sin. And there are multitudes upon multitudes today that are sitting in church pews on Sunday morning, patting themselves on the back, thinking they're secure in eternity because they said a prayer or because they, quote-unquote, believed in Christ. And yet, by their lifestyles, by their practicing in sin, they're denying the very Christ who they profess has saved them. Amen. Anything you want to add, brother? I, I think... You're absolutely right, and I think that's one of those things where it's just we have to understand what are we contending for. It goes back to what you said at the very beginning of the show, contending for the faith. There are so many assaults upon the gospel right now from people who want to corrupt it for their own gain. They want to use it as a means of promoting themselves, promoting their ideology, uh, promoting their brand. And they do it for fleshly reasons. 
Brother, I will, add, I will add this real quick. There are some of those doing those things that are beyond obvious oh, yes. to other people, even though they still have millions of people following them, donating to them, and everything else. But our concern is more for those that come in with that subtle truth yes. that seems okay, like you were talking about earlier. Those are the ones that I encourage our listeners to be on the guard for yes. even those that attend the same church that they may attend because, you know, there's a lot of false fruit today. Yes. And we need to, I know this wasn't there in our notes and it's going to run us over a little bit, but I want to put one thing into, into your mind and think about this today. We have humanitarian efforts of every kind under the sun, whether it's feeding the poor you know, clothing, providing clothing, providing shelter, providing aid to different countries. You know, we have government programs, and there's even social programs through all these other countries, you know, providing food and doing all these different things. We have to keep in mind, when the New Testament was written, that was not a common thing. Every person lived for himself. It was dog-eat-dog world. I mean, you did not know where your meal was coming from for tomorrow, much less, you know, whether you were going to have a meal or how much food you were going to have, if it was going to be enough to last you and your family. And the concept of sharing what you had among those around you was completely foreign. It was like, I've got to take care of myself and my family. And a lot of times it was more myself than even the family. Giving and good works was not like it is today. Today, you even have atheists and all these other religions that are doing, quote-unquote, good works that are feeding and doing all these type of things. But in context, in the New Testament, that was one thing that set true believers apart from all these other false religions and ones that worshipped Zeus and Athena and Artemis and all these others. That was something that you did not see vast majority of the population doing was sharing what they had with those who had not. That's why I say in today's world, there's so much false fruit and people that have not read and studied and researched these things see that false fruit and assume it's true biblical fruit. But there's a huge difference. And today, more than ever, I think probably throughout any point in time in history, we have to look and examine these things even harder and more closely than ever before because, like I said, you have Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Catholics, pro-whatever you want to put out beside it, you know, atheists, even Satanists out doing quote-unquote good works, but they're not doing it in the name of Christ for Christ. They're, they have their own reasons they may be doing it, and people, you know, come across and say, well, they're so nice and kind. They're giving to the poor. There must be something really true going on with them. But they're still worshiping false gods with a little G. Yeah. And then in today's world, you have, and I still think more so now, and I don't know if any other point in time in history, we see it like we see it today, that we have people that are bragging about the sin they're living in and churches bragging about that sin and promoting it thinking that they're actually saved when they're just deceived 
homosexuality being one example of many, and not just homosexuality, but any form of sexual immorality. How many people are sitting in church on Sunday that are addicted to porn Monday through Saturday, but yet still claim that they're Christian? They're living in sin, they're practicing sin, and think they're saved. And these are the ones that Jude is addressing if you were to look at it in today's world. Back then, there were many different things, but one thing that the Bible talks about was their God being their belly, meaning they were only concerned about gluttony and and overeating and not even just worried about having enough to eat. They wanted more than enough to eat. But it's just some concepts and put in a few things in context. I just want our our readers, I want our listeners to think about a little bit, if that makes any sense, brother. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why contending is so important. There are so many people today that they don't want to get involved in that those discussions. They don't want to they don't want to sound judgmental. They don't want to sound mean. They don't want to, you know, um, they don't want to drive people away. But Jude himself makes it clear all the compromises that Rich just talked about, these are all things that are happening within the church because so often we don't want to contend and we're not calling people to repentance in the gospel. We're not calling them to sound doctrine and godly living and righteousness and holiness. And we're just allowing those little differences that just don't seem like such a big deal. And they are a massive deal. I, I think I've said this before. If, if you've ever done land navigation, if you've ever gotten a compass and a map and you get your heading and you march off in a particular direction, a difference of one degree, one degree on your compass can end up put you miles away from where you're intending to, to end up. That each step along that path, one degree off, is enough to land you miles away and lost. That difference between right and almost right. As Charles I have uh, something I, w- I want to add to that. You're talking about the compass and off one degree. Put it in this frame of thinking. You're blindfolded, and someone's leading you by the hand, and you're lost in the wilderness, and they come and tell you they know the way out. But you've got a blindfold on because maybe you were injured and you cannot see, and you're dependent on that person to lead you out of those woods, out of that danger, and you're completely dependent on them to guide you the correct way. If they were off one degree and you had to walk 25 miles and there was a cliff on either of the other side and you're holding their hand, how much trust would you put that they're going to stick to that narrow direction and knowing that if they veer just a little bit one way or the other, that you're going to fall to your death and perish. That is the narrow way Christ talks of is even more narrow than this, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So our hope with this episode is to encourage you, especially in such a time as contending for the faith is very unpopular. We want to encourage you. You are doing what God has called you to do. If you are genuinely with the motivation of leading people to Christ, not to be, 
hey, I'm more theologically better, uh, you know, uh, adept than you are. You know, I'm, I'm smarter. I know I have it right. You have it wrong. If that's your motivation, stop it. And we've all been guilty of it in some fashion. I, I, I will profess that. I've been guilty and have to repent when I do it. But if you are contending for the faith because Christ is so glorious to you, because the gospel is so precious and you want to see people in right standing with God, then you are doing what you've been called to do, brother and sister. Do it. Continue to do it. Even when the world scoffs and even with people within the walls of the church scoff. Stand firm upon the word of God. Discern right from almost right. And stand firm and proclaim the truth without shame. That's our hope. That is what we've hoped talking about Jude has helped you to see today. So if these programs are helping you, if they are a blessing to you, please let us know. If they challenge you and you're not sure of things, or you have questions, let us know. If you disagree with us, let us know. But be biblical, be respectful, and don't come at us with uh, wild accusations or, or <laughs> stuff out of left field that has nothing to do with what we said. Uh, but I have a question. Yes. Since that gentleman sent us that email, <laughs> does that mean that that intellectual property belongs to us, or does it belong <laughs> to the person that sent it? Because I got, I have the most tremendous idea for a Christian sci-fi novel based <laughs> on that email. Uh, you know, it seems to me he sent us to it to sent it to us to give consideration to. So if you take that and it becomes an inspiration, maybe just mention to the very odd individual who once emailed my podcast, thank you for giving me an idea for something weird. <laughs> yeah. Basically, we have chips implanted in our brains that the government's controlling to make us sin. <laughs> yeah, that's that not the gist of it. I got about a few sentences in and went, this is too weird for me, but I think that was kind of where he was going with it. When you send me a a a multi, what should be like a multi-paragraph thesis, and it's all like one giant run-on paragraph with no breaks, I, my, that's usually a first indicator to me that I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm going to want to read this. Brother, I don't remember even seeing periods. Yeah, that. it was like one long sentence. Yeah, so lot, lot, lack of punctuation, no chat, no paragraph breaks, and some of the weirdest I ideas I had ever seen, and, and and that's saying something considering the last episode we did. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, it was that was bizarre. That was bizarre. But that said, putting that one aside for a minute, we would still love to hear from you again. Voice of Reason Radio at gmail .com. Please get in touch with us. Uh, and you can always hit us up on social media, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. But you know, if it's if it's helping you, if it's contributing to something that helps us to know that we're we're kind of hitting the right things that people want to hear and and and, uh, and are important to them. Uh, and we're not that's not a seeker sensitive way of approach, by the way. We're just <laughs> we're wanting to minister in a way that's helpful. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So we would love to hear from you. So thank you for spending time with us again this week. Uh, we hope. Not only that this helps you, but maybe you can share it with others who also uh, need to, to have that same encouragement. Uh, we've always said, by the way, that this is at best a tertiary support 
to your local church. Never, ever, 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 ever substitute the local church with what you can get online. That's not church. We grant, by the way, as we have some dear brothers and sisters who are homebound because of disabilities, that not, not that the there are those exceptions that can't quite be involved in it. By the way, if you're a pastor who has a church, who has people that are homebound because they can't get there, let me challenge you to figure out how can you minister to them and make them a part of the body. I know that's hard. Find a way, please. They need to be part of the well, body. And if, if you're a pastor that listens to this show, and if you want to do it in private, contact me because yep. I can give you some ideas because I fall into that very description that Chris just made yep. about someone who is homebound and is not able to attend. But I've been blessed over the last decade to have a pastor that found a way that I could be participating and contributing yeah. to our local church. Well, that was prior to he, before he retired. But anyway, yeah. I think my point's been made. Exactly. So we recognize that those exceptions do exist, but for the, the rest of you, online is not church. You can gain a lot of great knowledge, and you can be taught a lot of wonderful things. My podcast listening right now has primarily been either uh, – grace to you or um, uh, renewing your mind. I've kind of backed off of some of the other stuff lately. And if I listen to podcasts at all, that's what I'm listening to. And I hear sermons and they're great and they're helpful, but they're not my church. Go ahead. Are those those really podcasts though? If you're listening to sermons from grace to you or renewing your mind, would that really be considered a podcast or would that just be an audio sermon? uh, There's still, well, these ones tend to be edited for time. So you're, you're getting portions oftentimes and um, edited for time and content and usually uh, to a specific topic or a series. So in some respect, it's still podcast, but yes, it's still sermons you're listening to or teaching lessons that have occurred within that church. So my, my point, of course, in all that is, is that you can gain a lot of great knowledge. There are wonderful podcasts or apologetics podcasts, evangelism podcasts. By the way, Hearts for the Lost Radio, need to listen to them. Uh, Great evangelistic stuff. Rich has listened to a lot of it. He loves it, so it's got thumbs up from us. So you need to listen to it. So um, there, you can get great information. You can be taught a lot. You can be edified in in many, many ways, but it's not church. So as much as you may gain something from this and you may share it with others, don't forsake your local church. Don't you dare. Okay? If you're doing that, Turn off this podcast. Go find yourself a local church. All right, Rich, any last thoughts before we let everybody go tonight? Whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation to someone at least once a day, whether you share a gospel presentation link online, you share a digital tract online, you have a conversation with someone in person, you hand someone a tract or you leave a tract. Just make it a point and lock it into your brain. Do something once a day along those lines. Amen. Amen. And if you want further information about contending for the faith, we're going to have about five different links for you in these show notes. Okay. Uh, sermon from John MacArthur, sermon from Martin Lloyd Jones. I know some of you are going to cringe. John Piper over at, uh, at, at, uh, desiring God a good research. But, <laughs> but this 
this article was from 1984. Yes. So, so it's there's <laughs> there's good content in it. Please check it out. Uh, some information from the Got Questions website and also uh, Bible Hub, which has has a, a, a several comments from commentaries in this one website. So if you want a little bit more information about contending for the faith. This is going to be some good resource material. I encourage you to check it out once you are done listening to this show. So thank you for spending time with us. God bless you guys. Whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. We'll see you next time. Good night. God bless. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.